0: Welcome to Biblical Brainstorm, the Seth and Chandler podcast. I am Seth. This is my man, Chandler. What's going on, Chandler?
1: Nothing much, man. Summer. Summer oh, break. yeah. Um, I'm super excited about this episode today. We are talking about the formation of the biblical canon. So, why? That's a good have, one. Yeah. The Bible as we have it today. Why do we have it? How do we have yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, should we have it the way it is? Yeah. yeah.
0: And like we were talking about uh, before the show, like it ended up being a really good thing, uh, kind of how everything turned out with the Apocrypha series and all that, which we originally were just planning on doing one episode on it.
1: Yeah. And now this is it our
0: fourth. Fourth, yeah, fourth episode. But it turned out to be a good thing because we discussed, uh, we're just discussing the general Bible. And I mean, we're called Biblical Brainstorm. So why not you know, talk about what the Bible is, why... The books are in there that are in there. Why certain ones were kept out. So it ended up being a good thing, defining what the Bible is before we go mm-hmm. any further. So yeah. it's uh, I'm happy with how it's gone so far.
1: Yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited. There's going to be a lot of kind of history or Christian early church history yeah. that we're going to have to cover today, um, because you know the Bible didn't fall from the sky in a vacuum. You know, out of yeah. A vacuum. We didn't have uh, there,
0: to. We didn't. We weren't instructed to go dig it up in a backyard or out in the wilderness or something.
1: Yep. <laughs> this isn't. Uh, you know, had a vision and golden plates happened and yeah, you know, uh, some guy wrote it down somewhere. The whole thing. No. So you have the Bible is a collection of books, right? Yeah. Uh, in the Protestant Bible, it's sixty-six. Right. We have, uh, you know, different uh, other. You know, you have other Bibles as well. Um, mm. The Eastern Orthodox, the Catholic bible which includes seven more than the protestant there and so uh and yeah. that's
0: the they kind of have some apoc- apocryphal works and <clears throat> included in their canon right that yeah and that's be, that's the and, difference
1: and that's the difference right is, yeah. is some of those uh intertestamental writings that we talked about in the previous three episodes mostly the first uh you know part one and part two of the apocrypha episodes yeah. so if you guys haven't are seen those yeah just go back and, and so some of the things we we'll reference are, are in those uh, previous three episodes we've had. So if you kind of like have a question, you could feel free to ask and also kind of yeah. go back to those other episodes. But yeah, I'm super excited to, you know, now that we've covered, um, you know, the Old Testament, how, you know, the Old Testament kind mm-hmm. of came to be and, and with the Jews uh, and their canon and how that was kind of settled with the Pharisees and everything. And then you have other books like these historical books during the intertestamental <laughs> period, Right. Um, with you know what we call the apocrypha, which is included in the Catholic canon and all that, and yeah. so we have uh, you know we we've taken you guys through that a little bit, then into the New Testament, and last week we went through some Gnostics works, uh, and those were crazy. <laughs> yeah,
0: those were those were out there.
1: <laughs> yeah, we read.
0: I'd learned about some of the Gnostic stuff <laughs> in my uh, New Testament survey classes and stuff at um, uh, when I was in college at Lee University, and it was, you know, I got the gist of it, but I guess they either they didn't get that deep into it, or I just didn't realize how crazy they were, especially yeah. with some of the stuff I got reading. I was like, man, I mean, you can see where they branched off and kind of went out and left field, but it's mm-hmm. still, it's there's yeah. really any redeeming that.
1: So if you guys didn't catch the last episode too, you can feel free to go yeah. back there. We talked about, you know, the Gnostic kind of heresy and why that wasn't included as well. Um, we had some
0: commentary on the secret book of John, as well as yeah, the uh, book of, of Thomas. Thomas and all that, yeah. Yeah, all that stuff.
1: <laughs> so now that we've covered all that, so now we're getting into this kind of early church um, era, right? Because last week yeah. we also talked about first century Palestine and kind of the setup after Maccabees, and you have these mm-hmm. different sects of, of Judaism and people dealing with this Roman occupation. And so now you're getting into this, uh, you know, this explosion of Christianity that's, again, just taking over... a lot of the world here in the roman empire turning the world upside down basically
0: and like i was talking to you a little bit earlier um tom holland the historian not the actor Mm -hmm. (laughs) he just wrote a book who came Uh, first (laughs) yes he had he just came out with a book um fairly recently uh called dominion and it's talking about how christianity has influenced culture um specifically western culture and american culture so much that even people that aren't even Christians hold Christian values, and they don't even realize it. And he was talking about, uh, like, what you're saying with the early church—like, it really shouldn't have thrived as much as it did by just purely um,
1: human means.
0: Yeah, it's just—it's something that you couldn't have just made up. Like, and he considers himself an atheist, and you know, he just talks about how it's just so remarkable that it even survived to today, especially at that time. Yeah,
1: and, and it just changed, like turned the world upside down. Go Bible team, love it. Yes, yeah, go Bible team. <laughs> and you guys can comment. And so, if you have also questions um, about what we're talking about, or or you know need us to clarify something, feel free to interact. That's another reason why we do it live. We love yeah. doing that. Um, so yeah, so let's get into it. So you have Christianity. It explodes, changes the world, and now uh, you know you have these apostles. Of course, in the first century, who are writing uh, these letters and these books. Uh, you know, on account of what happened mm-hmm. and to their churches, uh, because, you know, there's there's uh, there's this diversity uh, in, in Christianity, right? It's spreading mm-hmm. throughout the world to different cultures, to different peoples, and not to the elite, not to the educated mostly, but this is kind of like a grassroots, you know, bottom-up movement yeah. uh, where it's being persecuted uh, heavily by the Roman, uh, you know, mm-hmm. occupation, the Roman Empire. And so you're having these pockets of Christianity spur up from, from the ground up, from the poor and the uneducated mm-hmm. on up. And slowly it starts gaining more and more traction throughout the, the first century, the second century, into, into the third century. And then finally, until we get to Constantine the Great, who is going to become a believer himself and change mm-hmm. the Roman empire from, a, from one that was hostile or indifferent to Christianity to one that is accepting of Christianity. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so this point on, now you're gonna have this freedom uh to to express you know and to write about christianity like never before and you're going to have these bishops and people that are going to uh you know basically uh try to try to form what is orthodoxy right and so this was in Mm -hmm. debate even while they were being persecuted but now that you are not being persecuted anymore you have all this freedom to come together and to meet and not be thrown to the lions, right, Right. in in the arenas, (laughs) but to come together and agree upon theology, on what books are sacred scripture and not. And so uh, before this, though, way before Constantine, we're going to talk about Marcion. Now, Marcion is an interesting character, right? He's he's somebody who lived uh, about, you know, again, some of these dates are more... um, Accurate than others because it's kind mm-hmm. of hard to verify. You know, historically, some of these these dates, um, some of these are just quick references mm-hmm. uh, in in old letters or archaeological evidence that we have. But um, basically, Marcion lived around 85 to 160 A.D. So he's born in the first century, right? Yeah. And so he's he's a part of this kind of Gnostic movement. Mm-hmm. uh overarching again, he didn't call himself a gnostic. Uh, no Gnostics really called themselves the gnostic sect, but yeah. he carries with his theology a lot of the same ideas of separating himself from this uh, the God of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. and so he's a little different because he tries to come up with his own canon of scripture mm-hmm. which and he's one of the first to do so, if not the first to do so
0: okay and that's the hard part i mean with uh you know you had the old testament canon that was pretty much solidified what by the time jesus came and it was pretty much it was what it was you know josephus mentioned that it was pretty solid you know at that time and um so it's pretty much it was what it was but once once jesus came you know, the new Testament hadn't been written yet. It was being lived. <laughs> so once you, <laughs> part of, yeah, so it was all, they were still figuring this stuff out. So it was pretty you know chaotic there for a time trying to figure out, you know, who was right and who was wrong. And, you know, that's why a lot of it was kept to the apostles and the apostles, apostles, you know, so it's like you were saying, it's a lot of the early church stuff was writings of the apostles and the disciples and, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. So it's, you know, when you get into, you know, we start talking about the Gnostics and all their, or the, um, Marcion and all that, it gets, uh, you know, pretty crazy how it, some of it branched out the way it
1: did. Yeah. I love how this kind of arch-heretic. Marcion. Yes. <laughs> Marci- Marcion, yeah. But you have to, to think, too, um, if it wasn't for heresy, then Paul wouldn't have written a lot of his letters to the churches correcting them. And yeah, it's really it,
0: interesting how that works.
1: <laughs> and if it, if it wasn't for heresy um, you know, after that, then it wouldn't have really forced the church to even come up with and preserve the Canon the way it is. Yeah. Um, and so because of Marcion's Canon and because of his kind of push to, in in this, his way of Christian, this type of Gnostic belief system of Christianity, Mm -hmm. um, it's going to force the church to rise up and condemn him. Um, (laughs) and so the, the interesting part of the Marcion Canon is that, uh, it's it's only eleven books. It's a very short canon, mm-hmm. right? And so it uh, includes you know just one gospel, which is the gospel of Luke. Ironically enough, which okay. it's funny that he didn't include Acts because Acts was also uh, written by Luke. So yeah. it's like he just <laughs> didn't want his second half, I guess. Yeah, but you got yeah, Luke it is interesting, and the ten uh, not all of the Pauline letters, just ten of the Pauline epistles, right? Okay. And so, I guess the ones that disagreed with this theology, you had to just get rid of those. (laughs) Um, Just ignore those. And the Gospel of Luke that he preserved in this canon actually is incomplete. He cut certain parts out of the Gospel of Luke that I guess he didn't (laughs) like either. Man. So, so you basically have a shorter version of the Gospel of Luke, plus 10 of Pauline, you know, the Pauline epistles, mostly that, of course, talk about love. You know, you got Galatians and you got. You know, some of these ones that are just very, very lovey dovey, God of love type deal. Yeah. Right. And so it's interesting because today we start to, we even see some of that Marcionic heresy where the, they, people <laughs> in true. Marcion would say this that the God of the Old Testament, no, that's the evil God. Right. And that the true yeah. God is, is this God of love. Right. Which yeah. is, you know, in his little canon of scripture. Um, that's which,
0: very interesting that uh, it's a very interesting observation that is you kind of got a point there
1: <laughs> yeah and so they kind of reject the Old Testament they kind of reject you know any any books of the New Testament that uh, put you know talk about God's wrath or, or God's you know um, any anything that paints him in a light that doesn't really conform to yeah. what somebody like Marcion at its time would have viewed God um, yeah and you know not the true spiritual and also even though most Gnostics, you know, if you could even say that, mostly had this, you know, anthropology of like, okay, the spirit is good, the flesh is evil. Marcion was yeah. a little less in that camp per se, but okay. his his dichotomy was more of the god of wrath versus the god of love, right? Gotcha. And so, but he's he still kind of painted that old testament, the old testament god is you know kind of that demiurge, that kind of Gnostic yeah. belief system, um, and so he he makes waves though in the church right and so right. some people buy into this and they're like hold up you're get, you're just going to reject some of the other apostles teachings and and their letters right i mean you have you know the gospel of matthew and the gospel yeah. of mark and some of these that the early church you know they have and they're like well you you're just going to throw all this away because this is your belief system and uh he it kind of got some criticism and so yeah it's Crazy how early he was. I mean, he was born while John was still alive, the apostle. Man, I mean, that's just crazy. You yeah, know? around 85 A.D. and John, he probably died around 100 A.D. So I mean, mm-hmm. this is you know, this is pretty crazy.
0: Imagine that. That'd yeah. be pretty cool.
1: What a time, right? Right. And so <laughs> people like Tertullian, and I love mm-hmm. Tertullian, man. He's just like one of those early church fathers that uh, that he doesn't hold back. Right. (laughs) And he even so Tertullian was born around 155 AD and he lived to around 220 AD, Mm -hmm. you know, roughly. And so what's what's funny about him is he he's one of the first early apologetic, you know, apologists. You know, we talk about apologetics. That's even part of this ministry. What we do, we we want to have some level of apologetics in what we talk about to defend the true faith. And that's what he, uh, you know, was trying to do, to defend the true orthodoxy, the, the true faith, yeah. and to preserve that. And he's from, Tertullian's from Africa. He's from mm. Carthage, which is uh, in North Africa. You know, it was a part of the Roman occupation at that time, that yeah. uh, their their empire. But he considered himself an African. Uh, his father may have been in the Roman uh, army, and he might have been become educated because of that you know, status and everything. Yeah. So we do know that he was educated pretty well. Um, but he considered himself, you know, an African among Romans is, you know, in one of his writings hmm. and, or a Carthaginian, you know? Yeah. And so um, that's the actually-
0: tough part with like uh, some of these uh, different uh, branches where it, like it, it starts with a grain of truth. And it'll, it sounds convincing, but you've really got to be, yeah, with like, even with the Gnostic stuff, you can see where it branched off, but they just totally, they still got it wrong. You You can can understand them. And you can see why it's important to do like what Tertullian's doing and like what apologetics does and see why it's important to really know, you know, what it is that you're believing and being able to defend it. And like you said, he didn't hold back, and that's a good thing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he wrote a whole book called Against Marcion. (laughs) So... I mean, is that same, have, is that
0: the same as uh, against heresies? Is it the same book?
1: No, no. no. So he had another book of against heretics. Oh, Okay, but, but he just had one specially reserved for, for Marcion. I got, a,
0: I got a book with your name on it, Marcion.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, too bad he was. You know, he he was born roughly about five years before uh, you know Marcion died, so they didn't really know each other. Yeah. You know, personally, in any way or weren't really contemporaries to, to a degree, but they the his ideas and this Marcionic ideology and this in or theology you could say in canon, this was yeah. you know, this was around, this was prevalent. And so you have Tertullian which is just smacking it in the face directly, <laughs> like this is heresy. And yeah. you know, how could you reject the God of the Old Testament? How can you reject the other books? How can you you know and some of his arguments for for just this and yeah. um you know, even denying some level of the Trinity, and so Tertullian was a big proponent of the Trinity as well, mm. and uh, he even coined—he's you know credited with coining the term Trinity. So even where, you know, we say Trinity, a lot of that comes from you know Tertullian himself to have yeah. uh, coined the term in his writings, mm. and so
0: because yeah, the, you know, that's a uh, a lot of people may not realize you know Trinity is not actually used in the Bible that. But- it's, you know, a term that we've since used to describe, you know, who you know, got the different parts of God. Not that God's multiple, but it's you know, it's the, it's the great uh, mystery, if you will. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, it, imagine you're Tertullian, right? And you're yeah. you're just you're writing all of this these these things, and um, and so you're you're trying to battle this heresy in kind of an apologetic way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you're starting to see this clash and Marcionism is going to not slowly die off because, I mean, even today we see, we see some yeah. of the, the rumblings of, of Marcionism, but it's, it's going to kind of die down uh, to, to a certain degree uh, in most of Christendom. And so then you're going to have other heretics rise up, though, which is going <laughs> to kind of challenge the scene a little bit. And uh, this is going to be Arius, right? Um, but before we get to Harry yeah, Arianism, <laughs> which is another interesting dynamic. Um yeah. before we get into um, Arianism though, I kinda wanna look through some of these comments. So All right. um, yeah, and feel free to ask questions guys as we're going through this, like we can slow down. Like I know sometimes it go a million miles per hour, just boom boom boom, bullet <laughs> points, right? But right you know, it's good to discuss these things in kind of a yeah. podcast dialogue way. Um so, let's see, even the idea of Canon was probably his, with Marcion. yeah, I mean, because, and you even say here the New Testament scripture was too organic to define uh, Canon and so or at least organically transmitted. And so there's some truth to that where like there was this oral transmission of mm-hmm. of true uh, of of the faith, right of, of the true faith. But there's also some written component where, you know Paul is writing his letters to, you know his churches, and of course, this uh, mm. the gospels themselves and the acts of the apostles, to where there is they they there was this growing need to write these things down, right, and to preserve um, the true faith in written form. But yeah. it, it's you know it's also you're talking about an oral culture um, mm. where you have most people are illiterate, um, and so even with, with the book of revelation, it says you know blessed is the one who reads these words out loud, and so yeah. you're talking about. You know, a church setting where you're, you know, you're supposed to read the scriptures. You're supposed to transmit the scriptures uh, orally. You know, and and uh, yeah. even in the Old Testament, it's like you know, write it on the doorpost and write it on the, <laughs> you know, and it's like, uh, you know, repeat yeah. them. And you have these kind of this oral transmission mm-hmm. uh, and remembrance. And even we see that with the creedal statements, which we're going to get to with trying to maintain orthodoxy through through creeds, because yeah. you know, it's it's easily rememberable. Or, you know, you know, remembered. Um, and so this is going to kind of uh, keep orthodoxy together or, or keep, you know, even the the layperson equipped to uh, yeah. fight against heresy that they hear. All right.
2: Yeah.
0: Because it's okay. important, like what you were saying, like uh, um, the blessed or those who read it aloud, like it's important to... Um, Make sure, I mean, we're not illiterate now, but it's important to make sure <laughs> some, that uh,
1: some well, countries are yeah. now America were blessed though in the West, yeah.
0: But it's important to make sure that you know people not just now hear the scriptures in general, but making sure that we teach it and transmit it properly those that have the ability to do it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, like we've said before, we're not experts, but we do the best we can, and uh, you know, it's important to keep those. You know, and and that time it was creeds and whatnot. Now we you know go over you know this kind of stuff, Bible study, going over history. So it's, uh yeah, it was a very interesting time for sure. I, I bet you know back in those days in the first you know few centuries, trying to figure out what the heck they were going to do.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, shout out to Jason, you're also awesome too, man. Um, he was one of my groomsmen at my wedding. Pretty pretty cool dude. It was a fun time. Um, yeah. <laughs> this. So, yeah. Most people couldn't read scripture was meant to be read aloud. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you're talking about an ancient time period, right? Yeah. Um, and so post-Tertullian, right? Or, you know, around the same time of Tertullian, actually, there's an interesting um, manuscript, which Bruce Metzger, I don't know if you guys know him. He is, uh, he's a professor, uh, you know, he knows Greek in, in kind of New Testament. Um, he's he's a very, very, very good scholar. He's the one who taught, um, Bruce, uh, I mean uh, that his name is Bruce Mesker. He taught um, Bart Ehrman, okay, and he was, you know, and most people, or I could say, if you, a lot of people know Bart Ehrman as this kind of New Testament scholar, atheist, you know, champion for, mm-hmm. um, but he's, you know, he's a good scholar, and so Bruce Metzger, who's a Christian, it's still so odd, yeah, and <laughs> to be an
0: atheist and a biblical scholar,
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, he used to be a Christian, and yeah, so but. I guess he turned atheist, and and yeah, uh, but Bruce Metzger, his professor, who, funny enough, Bruce Metzger taught one of my professors, okay. um, who taught me, um, you know, a class uh, as well. So you know, nice. he went to Princeton and all that. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, um, he studied under Bruce Metzger, but yeah, Bruce Metzger is uh, is is pretty cool. But he he dates this um, this sixth century document uh as a translation of a document a greek document that was in the second century so if you guys are tracking with me here you have this (laughs) later latin document which uh was copied from an earlier manuscript in greek which is known as the Moratorian fragment okay okay and so this is one of the earliest fragments if you do uh believe that it was um you know dated to that time right yeah Um, so are, you fragment, are you talking about a fragment?
0: Are you talking about was found at Qumran?
1: No. So this would okay. have been uh, kind of an East, I think in the Eastern Orthodox um, okay. tradition. But this, this is a New Testament. Um, well, not a New Testament, but it's a writing about the canon. One of the earliest written canons, if you do date it that way, okay. right in the second century. But there's good reason to believe why it's a second century document. Um, and so some of the translation, it says, here at which nevertheless he was present and so he placed them in his narrative the third book of the gospel is that according to Luke uh, and the reason it starts there is because it's a broken fragment so it doesn't include Matthew and mark in that first but you know it says the third book of the gospel
2: gotcha. Luke,
1: Uh, and you know when Paul had taken uh, with him as one zealous for the law composed it in his own name according to the belief Yet he himself had not seen the Lord in the flesh and therefore he was not able to ascertain or he was able to ascertain events. Uh, You know, talking about Luke again. Mm. So this is more like almost like a prologue to the New Testament itself. Um, So indeed, he begins to tell the story from the birth of John. The fourth of the Gospels is that of John, one of the disciples to his fellow disciples and bishops who had been urging him to write. He said, fast with me from today for three days and what will be revealed to each one let us tell it to one another in the same night it was revealed to andrew one of the apostles that john should write down all the things in his own name while all of them should renew it and so though various elements may be taught in the individual books of the the gospels nevertheless this makes no difference to the faith of believers since by one sovereign spirit all things have been declared And all gospels concerning the nativity concerning the passion which is the cross Mm. Uh, concerning the resurrection, concerning life with his disciples, and concerning his twofold coming. And first, his lowliness, when he was despised, which has taken place. The second, glorious and royal power, which is still in the future. Mm. But, you know, I love this commentary. It's almost yeah. like a commentary to the books of the New Testament themselves, Yeah, uh, which is pretty interesting. And so he, he proceeds to list a lot of these uh, books that are in our New Testament. Um, and some uh, uh, that aren't, which is pretty interesting, Um, and so he kind of goes through this list, and the difference between this canon and our canon is that he includes all of the first ones kind of all the way to Philemon, um, but he, it doesn't include in this canon Hebrews, James, first or second Peter, Hmm. Um, and what's interesting is yet it does include the Apocalypse of Peter and the Wisdom of Solomon, which our traditional one does not, Hmm. but for the most part, you see how it's uh, it, it's basically the same or almost the same canon that we have uh, today in our New Testament. Yeah, and so this is one of the early fragments, and, and you start to see this kind of formation of the canon slowly. You have Marcion's canon, and you have this kind of um, you know the the church consensus per se, and yeah. so you have the second century document, which is like okay, here's here's a you know a list of scriptures, right, um, which is significant. Because you have to think the sec- in the second century, you don't have, you still have a lot of persecution. Mm. And so there's not as much open connection as you would as they would have had, have liked at least um, in between churches and um, this you know trading of documents and, yeah. and of scripture. So there's some churches that didn't even have all of the books of, available to them or to their knowledge and that are in the Bible. And it was a lot more difficult to century.
0: transmit some of that stuff too, just because of the difficulties of copying and you know transporting it, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, imagine like in some and like Emperor Diocletian, he ordered like the burning of, of scriptures or Christian documents and things, and so you're having the you know you're having the struggle in the first and second yeah. century of keeping Christianity on the same page um, yeah. because of the persecution, but somehow even with intense persecution. You do have this growing consensus among believers um, about you know these New Testament books, right? And even in yes. this in this instance, it's pretty much the same with some some dispute on, of course, the first and second Peter, first, second, and third John, James, Hebrews. So some of these later books in in our New Testament, there's yeah. you know some debate. But before you know the books before this, most of the Pauline letters and all of the Gospels and Acts. These are, like, virtually undisputed, basically. Right, yeah. Um, and I love this comment here. Metzger wrote the textbook studies in New Testament textual transmission with Aaron. So, yeah, I, I should have even clarified that both Bruce Metzger and Bart Ehrman are textual critics. So they're not just New Testament scholars, but they're actual textual critics who try to look deeper and beyond you know, the actual, you know, document itself. Um, nice. You know, deeper into the authorship and, and all right. of that. So the, the yeah. original Greek and and all that so that
0: gets fun but you also get in the weeds really quick
1: <laughs> yeah i mean i imagine that field takes a lot of patience oh and yeah and a lot of um especially of when schooling. it comes to
0: figuring out the context of the um just kind of the worldview and the world it was written in and the culture and the language
1: learning greek man language. that's that's its own challenge yeah. itself i mean I, i'm learning slowly learning hebrew this year and i'm trying to learn other languages you know slowly mm. as well like Spanish and German and Arabic, but you know, these even these things are kinda of hard for me. But yeah, I can't Greek, when I look at that, I'm just like, I'm not even gonna try for at least a while <laughs> because yeah. Greek is just you know, you ever heard the saying it's Greek to me? It's like Oh yeah. Here's a reason. There's a reason. Um,
0: it doesn't help that it's a dead language either that you can't really speak.
1: <laughs> I don't know, man. There's the Greeks over <laughs> all, all the all the people from Greece rise up and they're like, What did you <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> Man. But I know what you mean. Koine Greek, yeah, yeah, yeah. Language. but yeah, so, yeah, it's a Greek
2: coinage, yeah.
1: Greek itself is, <laughs> is alive and well, alive and yes. well.
0: Yeah, modern Greek, yeah, yeah. That's funny. Yeah, All that these coin- offended
1: Greeks out there. <laughs> we're sorry.
0: <laughs> oh man.
1: Anyway, so Arius.
0: Greeks are cool though. <laughs> yeah
1: um so Arius was was an interesting fellow so again you you have this intense persecution you have this rise of heresies but for the most part the church is on on consensus here with you know the new most of the new testament books and they're trying to say okay this is sacred scripture these are the teachings of the apostles and these should be preserved and this is orthodoxy Mm -hmm. um and so you have again right before Constantine before it's all settled with this kind of um you know, peace, Christian peace going around. You have another heretic n- known as Arius. Mm. And so Arius was born around roughly 256 to 336 AD. Um, and he actually attended the Council of Nicaea. So this is the okay. famous council that, you know, people will will know, um, you know, the Council of Nicaea. The Nicene Creed, all that stuff. So this is a famous you know, uh, heavy Council heavy. of Orthodoxy. Yeah. So Arius is even there, but before even the Council of Nicaea, Arius is spreading his kind of theology, or you could say heresy, um, which is that his belief, or Arianism, mm. um, was, was the belief that Jesus was a created being, that he is okay. not co-eternal with the Father, but that he is... Uh, so in a way, he kind of um, denied Trinitarianism, And there's this aspect of, well, you know, he reads the Bible and things like, oh, the, you know, Jesus, the son is the only begotten of of God and and things like this. And he tries to, he extrapolates from that this belief that, um, you know, that is known as Arianism, which is that Jesus is a created being. Now, he didn't believe that Jesus was created on earth when he came. He he, he, he still believed in some level of the incarnation, but that... Jesus was a created being in eternity past and then you know, but less than the father and so the, yeah. there's this problem here where you have God the father and then you have the son which is less than the father and I, as a created being and That's who comes down to save us through use the cross mm. and of course There's some backlash to this because yeah, okay, yeah. if how could he actually save if he's not yeah. God? You know if if he's just a created being how much could he really atone for sins and all that And um,
0: now is there any connection with Arius and like the um, the Arianism or Arian deal that was believed by the Nazis in the 30s uh, or is
1: it just they share the same name they share the same kind okay. of similar name so that that's what confuses people too because they think Arianism yeah. and they think some level of white supremacy but this is a yeah. completely different type of Arianism right? gotcha and so you have That's what I
0: thought. I just wanted to clear that up.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um interesting comment. So to be fair, Arius he believed the logos was uh the perfect and part of God. He just believed the logos was created 1 millisecond after creation. Yeah, so mm, um gotcha. which Loop is holes. <laughs> lo- <laughs> loopholes. Um well, he it's interesting because it's also reflected at some level with um uh, What's his name? Philo, where he had believed in the Logos as the second God, and so not that he got his ideology from um, right Philo, but there is some some you know this is floating around in, in Christian thought, right? Is he a created being? or is he co-eternal with the Father? Um, and so this is, and yeah, then
0: I, Gnostics were saying that he was an apparition. So
1: <laughs> yeah, so and there's all so,
0: kinds of stuff going around.
1: Yeah, so you have Gnosticism, you have Marcionism, you have Arianism, and then even here with Arianism, some of his followers are more extreme and deny the divinity of Christ. And mm. so, yeah, that's that's its own problem because you have followers right of Arianism, and even to some degree, Arius himself saying that you know if J- Jesus is a created being, yeah, um, you know his critics are kind of you know right and rightly so. It's like okay, if if he if he's just a created being uh and he's not fully god mm-hmm. i mean then this gets into the aspect of the incarnation fully god fully man it, yeah. it's not then fully god and so this there's causing a lot of problems here with orthodox mm-hmm. and i love actually saint augustine's um kind of so answer to this with you know even trinitarianism and augustine comes li- much later um but here, I thought I'd pull it up. This is kind of yep. like a modus tollens, you know, if P, then Q, uh, not gotcha. Q, therefore not P uh, gotcha. kind of logic from. Uh, and so if the father made even the son, then all things were not made by the son. But all things were made by the son per John 1, 1 through 3. Therefore, he right. himself was not made.
0: <laughs> yeah, you can see why he uh, didn't include John in his canon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Uh, or
0: with the Marcion, I guess. Or that's the, Marcion,
1: but uh, Arius, that, you know, so. Ari- Ari- Arius, uh, you know, he looked at all all the, of the books, but you know, his belief was okay. If his thing was okay, the begotten of, of God, the, you know, yeah. the, the monogamous, the, you know, the the unique.
0: Yeah, but, and you can see why it was important that John brought and wrote about all that in his gospel to make sure that that was cleared up for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so. It's it's interesting. I love St. Augustine's take here because his kind of defense of that is mm-hmm. okay, if if the sun if all things were made by the sun, uh well, then he himself could not have been made, because then that wouldn't have been included in the all things. Right. <laughs> then yeah. all things wouldn't have made, you know, been made by him if he himself was created. So that's yeah. kind of just a logical, you know. It's like yeah, it's in scripture, therefore right. uh, you know, Arius, you're wrong. Um yeah. <laughs> and so you see, even by the time of Augustine, still Arianism is kind of floating around here. Yeah. Um and so
0: it's a simple formula, but it works.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and so you have Arianism, that's becoming a problem too. So you have again Gnosticism, Marcionism, which is kind of a part of that, you have Arianism, you have even uh Montanus, that's another topic which we, we've kind of looked at today, but that's kind of like a an early form of bad Pentecostalism, uh, Montes, um, and so... I
0: gotta say, I'm not super familiar with them, so I'll have to look up, or look into that.
1: The Montes, yeah, he's this interesting character. Some, some things <laughs> true, some things are yeah, right. not true, but he's interesting. But, bad Pentecostalism. <laughs> um, well, with, yeah, prophecy and the continuation of, yeah, like that's it's that's its own thing <clears throat> <Yeah>. but <laughs> another anyways, podcast
0: you, for another day
3: <laughs>
1: yeah so you have arianism which is again setting up this need for a council right this first council of nicaea which is going to come together mm-hmm. and um and so oh actually i'm actually about to bring up saint uh, Athanasius. so this is pretty good Is a slam is the slam dunk against arius his work <laughs> on the incarnation yeah i love that um at, yeah, Athanasius, also from Africa, is Athanasius. And so, mm.
0: there's a lot of good early church bishops that were from North Africa.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, they're carrying the torch of orthodoxy. Come on, your hands. Yeah. You know, they <laughs> do
0: it. Or even Eastern, like Middle Eastern, you know, they, folks that are even near Israel, but they were yeah. all probably more into the Judaizers and the. Uh, you know, the whole Jewish roots thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like you have all these heretics from Europe, and then it's like it takes you know it takes the North Africans of of Augustine and uh, Tertullian yeah. and Athanasius to really set them straight, right? Yeah. What um, what's interesting is you have this Council of Nicaea, which is going to convene in uh, 325, right? And so Constantine the Great finally becomes emperor. He's bringing the uh, the church, you know, the leaders together, the bishops, and he's like, all right settle this thing right there's this controversy within christendom uh you know let's be united let's come to this this conclusion here and so what's funny is there's a lot of a lot of skeptics will point to this in the council of nicaea as oh see it's because of constantine that we have the canon of scripture uh which is funny because the canon of scripture wasn't really wasn't formed at the council of nicaea yeah. Uh, it was in later councils. So again, Constantine didn't have anything to do with the formation of the Bible. Yeah. But even though this is an idea perpetuated by uh, Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code and other, you know, popular literature. Yeah. So <laughs> Constantine didn't come up with the Bible. Um but also Constantine was sympathetic to Arianism and Arius. Really. And so you have what's interesting because you have this controversy in christianity between arianism and orthodox christianity and so the majority are condemning arius and they even condemn arius at the council of nicaea right they say that arianism is false it's a heresy and constantine even slightly felt sorry for arius because (laughs) you know they condemned him basically to his face and he was sort of sympathetic to arius or arianism to a degree and so that's another, you know, sticking point to say, okay, Constantine clearly didn't have anything to do with the formation yeah. of even, uh, you know, what orthodoxy is. Because it's like he didn't pick and choose Christianity. He All he did was con- make them convene and bring them together to settle on orthodoxy. Yeah. Uh, so the Nicene Creed was not something forced by Constantine as, okay, this is what it needs to say, all of that. Um, He brought them the church together so that they can come to this conclusion themselves. Right. And so this is like, you know, two to 300 people from all around uh, Christendom come convene here and try to settle this, this dispute of orthodoxy. Hmm. And so we're still not quite at the Canon yet because they didn't deal with the Canon per se at the council of Nicaea, but uh, they did come up with the Nicene creed, uh, which is pretty interesting. Um, I love the Nicene Creed. It yeah. is, it is, is great, and I'll actually read it just, just so kind of. Uh,
2: and before they had
0: like any of the established canon and everything, you know, the creeds were kind of a big deal to just kind of get the baseline of what it is that you believe. You know, for those of you that aren't familiar, mm-hmm. you know, it's just the basic, um, you know, a paragraph pretty much, just saying, you know, hitting the main points. We believe this. We believe that something to memorize
1: yeah again it's an oral culture as well so this is this kind of memory you know verbal memory thing. so the nicene creed goes as follows we believe in one god the father almighty maker of heaven and earth of all things visible and invisible and in one lord jesus christ the only son of god begotten from the father before all ages god from god light from light true god from true god Begotten, not made. So again, this is just yes. a smack to <laughs> yeah. uh, Just Straight, to, straight smack to, uh, to, to Arianism. Begotten, not made. Uh, <laughs> of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. This goes back to the St. Augustine argument. For us and for our salvation... He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again. According to the scriptures, he ascended. So even though they don't have a, a fully realized canon, they yeah. again, you have these the scriptures, right? And we talked about that the past three episodes, these sacred writings, which they, again, they... Monish, right? Mm -hmm. So you have the, the, according to the scriptures, this is what this says. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the father and the son and with the father and the son is worshiped uh, and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic Apostolic church, we affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. Oh. And the word Catholic there just meaning kind of universal, like the universal, the whole totality of the church. Uh, because before that time, that's before the Protestant Reformation Reformation that split things. That's right. before the great schism between the Eastern Orthodox and Catholic Church. So at this time, this, you just kind of have one you know, fully universal church. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, you know, where everybody's coming together and they're saying, okay, this is the, um, you know, this is true orthodoxy. This is what we believe as was mentioned in the scriptures, as was passed down from the apostles themselves and yeah. the teachings of Jesus. And so this is what we're preserving in this kind of creedal form, uh, you know, which again is combating, heresies of the day. This is combating Gnosticism. This is yeah. combating uh, Arianism. And and looking at the specific points here, was made human. This whole idea of the incarnation. Again, this yeah. is smacked to the to the face against Gnostics who believe this kind of apparition, like you said this this appearance. Right. But you know, to to come in the flesh. This is you know, yeah. That's, you
0: can see what they were battling with what they chose to emphasize.
1: Yeah, like every one of these things is kind of like a. You could see how many things that they are go- going against. Yeah. Uh, how many heresies they're going against just by dissecting the Nicene Creed. Um, yeah, I, I mean, just to have this super emphasis on Jesus here, God from God, Light from Light, True God from True God, Begotten, not made. Yeah. And this <laughs> is just to direct in the face of, um, you know, of Arianism. So it's pretty cut and dry. Yeah, and so. There is this belief, you know, again, skeptics in this, you know, even the whole Da Vinci code thing where it's like, oh, Constantine and the Council of Nicaea made the Bible, and this this was, you know, it was it was kind of an invention of Christianity, whereas before it was all diverse. Hmm. Kind of. I mean, you have these groups that are rising up, even that were that Paul was encountering some of these heresies when he wrote his epistles to these churches. They're encountering some of these yeah. things. But you're having this. These groups of of heresies rising up, and uh, and so th- it isn't that Christianity is super diverse, to where it's like oh they just p- picked and you know ch- chose uh, Christianity as they wanted to or Constantine did. It's actually mm-hmm. not really true. They're preserving what is in the scriptures, what was passed down from the apostles, what is true orthodoxy in response to these rising heresies that are coming coming up. Yeah. And rightfully so, right? Yeah, and so um, I'm gonna look through some of these. Uh, Yeah, it's exactly why the Council of Nicaea had to be called. It's to resolve heresy. That that's the point. It's like you have all these heretical groups going, Mm -hmm. Uh, and this was a good observation. I forgot to include that he was from uh, Constantine, but okay, yeah, you know, Bishop or Constantinople. Yeah, and so
0: uh, yeah, when you get someone that's got some. Got a little bit of credentials behind them; it makes it that much harder to, you know, hash that out. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, and so, uh, yeah, yeah like you exactly can see restating. That. What we, yeah, we said too. The creed is defined as to correct some heresy or another. I mean, that's the point of of what what a creed. Yeah. This, the Nicene Creed too, and, and every sh-
0: denomination kind of has a creed, so to speak. So, I mean, we still use them. It's just um, that goes through, you know, their doctrine, what they believe, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So creeds are still used, but, you know, the basics of, you know, what every church is built upon as far as, you know, the Nicene Creed's a good one that a lot talk about and that we still believe, you know, Mm -hmm. today. So it's an important one for sure.
1: Yeah. And so the, you can think almost, way to word this, it's not actually heretical, but you can can think heresy for Mm. the Bible that we have today. Right? Yeah. And so we have the Bible in sort of for you, yes. <laughs> Think you know, we have the Bible as it is because of heresy that it's you know they're trying to preserve something. Because if everybody was on the same page, there wouldn't have necessarily been a need to to yeah. be, preserve and and really define the canon in such a way and what is orthodoxy and what is heresy. If it wasn't for the this kind of push of heresy in the church, yeah. Um, I mean, you see it in the earliest writings, too, with Paul, and like I said, Jude, of like, Jude, when we went through our Jude series, of, you know, certain people are um, creeping into the, of the, fold, yeah. the the faith, and uh, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly godly people, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. And so you see this kind of uh, infiltration, these wolves in sheep's clothing, and mm-hmm. so it forced... You know, people like Paul to say, hey, Timothy, keep, you know, s- with sound doctrine. You know, yeah. people like Jude to say, hey, keep the true faith. And uh, It's a big emphasis. Contend for the faith. And uh, you see this continuing of this contending for the faith all the way through the early church um, against these heresies. And so now, we're, you know, this debate over what books are in the Bible and not is going to take place before and after Nicaea. So Nicaea didn't really have much to do with. The re- why we have the bible as it yeah. is you know i mentioned before you know this uh this document let me go back uh the Moratorian fragment right which mm-hmm. is around roughly 170 ad and which has a similar canon to our new testament canon but not fully the same and then by the time you have uh you know future councils this is where this thing is going to start to be settled um but before i get into that i wanted to mention uh saint nicholas
2: yes
1: (laughs) he's he's a pretty interesting fellow so very saint nicholas was around 270 to 343 ad and so we're going through a lot of early church fathers and so you can't really talk about the formation of the canon uh without these these men right and so you have people like again tertullian like i mentioned battling marcion you have um people like saint nicholas which was also battling Arianism, and he wasn't a big fan of Arius. Um, and and there is a, a story, uh, a, even though it comes from a thousand years later, so the actual historical merit of this of this story is is pretty low. But there is a argument to be made um, that since it includes very embarrassing details, that right. uh, that it could be authentic. Because why would you paint a saint in a negative light and he goes to jail and all that stuff? Right. For punching or slapping, I love this—the slap. The
0: slap. Yes. That's, that's what we should call it from now on. The slap. The slap.
1: So there is a story that Saint Nicholas, where we get Saint, you know, Santa Claus. So if yeah. you guys are confused, of like, wait, we're talking about Santa Claus and Christmas? Santa like, Claus
0: actually helped uh, straighten out early Christianity. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I just I actually love that picture because it's like. We celebrate every Christmas, right? And we we talk yeah. about oh Saint Nick, Saint Nicholas, and it's like we don't know where he actually comes from. Like he, yeah, like most people don't at least. Right. And yeah. he was actually a bishop, um, I believe from Turkey.
0: And that's why he started, you know, leaving presents for people was because you know he was a Christian, he was a bishop, and he was you know doing charity work. So to speak. yeah,
1: like he, there's a story about Saint Nicholas uh, seeing these three daughters uh, of this man who didn't have a. um a bride's price, or not a bride's price, but a, a dowry, or whatever you call it, and so they were going to, you know, have them sold, self sold into prostitution. Yeah. Um, and so, seeing Nick, kind of got wind of this, and so he put gold coins into, you know, their their sacks, or I think it was either sacks or actual. Well, they actually, Sox.
0: yeah, they had actual stockings that were hanging by the fireplace to, to dry. Just dry them. Yeah, it was just a practical thing. Yeah. And he just kind of snuck in and left them there. And the tradition, of course, you know, grew from there. But yeah, it's very interesting how, where all this stuff comes from.
1: Yeah. And so these traditions, even we have for Christmas, come from a lot of the life of St. Nicholas himself. But St. Yeah. Nicholas was, now, what's interesting is there's some debate whether he was actually at uh, the Council of, of Nicaea or not because there's some early accounts that say he was there and include him in the list but some of the shorter lists uh, in those first few centuries don't include his name on there which is funny hmm. because yeah. even Athanasius because both Saint Nick and Athanasius were big proponents of the Trinity and you think Athanasius would have included his name as being part of the council but he didn't but other ones, yeah. other uh, you know accounts say he was there at right. you know near the time as well. So it's like, was he there? Was he not? Most likely he was. Maybe he was just late. Um they or, didn't
0: write his name down.
1: Or maybe because of this <laughs> story, uh they this you know they took out blurred out his name because <laughs> they're like, uh we don't, this is gonna be a bad reputation if he's right, right. the guy who slapped Arius. I don't know. Um it's always good to speculate these kind of historical <laughs> events. But supposedly Saint Nicholas, being, with a green assault, you know. Yeah, supposedly Saint Nicholas, being against uh, Arianism and the heresy there, with that, um, and being a big proponent of the Trinity, goes and slaps, in some accounts say, punch Arius right <laughs> in the face uh, <laughs> at the Council of Nicaea, which yeah. uh, is was- that council
0: meeting, just randomly beats a dude up.
1: I, I kind of love that. I really hope it's true.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's one of the stories you want it to be true, but we I can't want it to
1: be true, but, but who knows? Um, but that would be pretty awesome. Just oh, like, yeah. you know, nobody likes, you know, the, the beating of a, of another person, which is, un you know, it's unchristian, but, right. um, but you just think of the division and the heresy that Arius kind of, ha- you know, influenced the church. Yeah. And what the council of Nicaea is convening to really, tackle this issue and then somebody like who's just so passionate for orthodoxy and the true, you know, trinity and everything and goes up and just slaps and punches <laughs> right in the face.
0: I'm so, sure that was a very tumultuous time too and he just probably had enough.
1: Yeah I mean he <laughs> just let it go. Yeah, this is one good point the historical account also mentioned St. Nicholas almost lost his position as bishop for slapping another bishop <laughs> Again, That, that would yeah, be that that expected yeah um, oh, I was right. Yeah, he was from Turkey. Yep. Nice. So, yeah, I mean. Uh, okay, we eat
0: turkey on Christmas.
1: <laughs> well, Thanksgiving, but that too. Uh, Eusebius oh, yeah. was also at Nicaea. Uh, yeah, Eusebius, early church historian, great dude. He had his uh, own faction, but supported the Trinitarians at Nicaea. Yeah. Eusebius, a great early church um, source for you guys to, to read as well. Um, but anyways, you have all these, you have these big names, right? St. Saint Nicholas, St. You know, yeah. Athanasius, um, you know, people like that, are, you know, and then Arius and this controversy, they're all here at Nicaea, this this big council, this big time council, right? And people emphasize this council more than they should because even, you know, skeptics, uh, they don't know any other council, but they know the <laughs> council of Nicaea. <laughs> it's like you ask them yeah. to name a church council and they're like, uh, Nicaea. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and and you got to think before this time. There's a lot of persecution, but now that they're yeah. able to meet together under Constantine and have this freedom, they're they're hashing some of this up stuff, stuff out. Yeah. But even though Nicaea didn't form the canon, this creedal, this agreement of orthodoxy between the church, realizing, yeah, this is you know the sacred scriptures that they even mentioned in the Nicene Creed. So there's your reference there. Yeah, um, is. Th- you know, proves this, right? This is the orthodoxy that the re- is reflected in the scriptures that we hold so dear, um, and so you you start to see Christians on the on the same page for the most part here um, with this uh, at least universal agreement on on certain orthodoxies. Now, of course, there's still going to be uh, problems with heresies and, and hair you know heretics, yeah. but you know you're going to have We're some kind gonna of you're going to have political agreement at this time at some level because of, you know, before it was persecuted and it wasn't possible, but now you're having this this uh, coming together of of uh, these bishops and these right. church leaders. Um, and so let's talk about Athanasius.
0: Athanasius.
1: And so Council Nicaea happens, it's said and done, boom, you have this creed, and you're having this kind of push towards this is the, um, you know, the orthodoxy of the land. Yeah. Per se. Um, oh, yeah. constant convened the Council of Roman Emperor. It was a huge deal. Yes, it is. A, it's a pretty big deal, you know, first council, And it's not the only council at Nicaea, but it's the first council in Nicaea. But it is, it's definitely, um, and the point here, too, purging the her- early heretics was essential for the consolidation of the church. And so, exactly. I mean, that's yeah. why they convened. They're trying to get the creed together, trying to get uh, orthodoxy. What does the church believe? And so one of these big proponents who was at the council was Athanasius himself, who was a big mm-hmm. proponent of the Trinity. Again, he would have been in agreement with Tertullian here years before. Um, again, Athanasius was born mm-hmm. around 293 AD and he lived to around 373 AD. Okay. So he's a little more later than some of the other people that we've discussed before. Yeah. Um but he's, you know, he's he's on the scene, he's agreeing with the Trinity and he was actually persecuted a kind of a lot. Um, which is pretty, pretty crazy. Um, any still there kind of lost you for a little bit there. We're back. Oh, okay. I think it like glitched. Yeah. Out it just
0: totally blacked out. Both of us.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. Well, we're now I, back.
0: I got nothing on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so I know I've, I've got some, uh, pretty nasty looking storm clouds rolling through. So it could be me. Uh, oh,
1: okay. You know,
3: with
0: some signals. So I apologize for that. Everybody. <laughs>
1: Well, let's uh, let's pray the storms away. Yes, I, we. Uh, I need better internet as well, so yeah, I'm dealing with campus Wi-Fi. But yeah, so Athanasius, great dude. He he actually kind of suffered a lot of uh, criticism, persecution, and I love the way mm-hmm. this puts you know. So uh, they some of his enemies called him Black Dwarf, which uh, that's interesting be- because of his skin color being an African, and because oh. and because he was short. So, which is kind of, uh, I would That's say, pretty... kind of racist as well. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> um, but you have one of these, uh, you know, these champions of early faith. You know, again, it's again, it's these out Af- these North African Christians <laughs> that are really defending Orthodox. here, yeah. You know, saying like Saint Augustine and Tertullian, but you have this guy who is quite literally this this short, you know, bishop guy from. Alexandria Egypt yeah um and he's he's defending orthodoxy and so you know it puts it here because this was the the tag that his enemies gave him called black dwarf because uh, of his short and his dark-skinned Egyptian uh heritage and um you know he had plenty of enemies yeah and so that's he rough. actually was exiled about five times uh from by four Roman emperors wow so that's a, that's a resume <laughs> yeah, I mean, imagine this guy. Yeah, you know, you're you're dealing with this all the while writing some of the amazing writings that he he wrote, um, yeah. and you know, spending about 17 of the 45 years of you know he served as bishop, which is a long time. Yeah, um, you know, in uh, exile. So imagine like a good portion of his bishophood, if you could even say that as a word, right. <laughs> um, was in exile. What you gotta think i mean paul wrote some of his stuff in prison and ex, john know, john in exile so i mean yeah. maybe john was...
0: revelation and patmos which is exile
1: <laughs> yeah so that's uh you know he's in good company yeah i, guess. I love this what a what a soldier i mean yes the next five times it's just dude dude stuck it out definitely <laughs> imagine like the fifth time again. yeah I mean, I I get exiled once. Like, Napoleon, right? The great Napoleon Bonaparte. He was, what, exiled twice or something like that? And it's like, even that was a big deal. And it's like, (laughs) this dude, all right, number four, number five. It's like, you know. So, (laughs) then you got, But what's funny is even with all of this resistance, uh, his, you know, teachings and his writings um, kind of shaped the future of the church. It really was symbolic of a reflective of the scriptures and this the the nicene creed which he you know was a big proponent of um and this defense of the trinity and of true orthodoxy against these heresies of gnosticism against these heresies of of arianism uh etc and he really did uh lay the groundwork for um really a kind of polemicist so you yeah. have apologists and polemicists and a lot of them are kind of uh, you know, interwoven to agree apologetics or apologists being defending the faith from outsiders, right. From mm. outside the faith. Whereas polemicists are really defending orthodoxy from within the church. Okay, what, You know, th- true theology, what is th- true orthodoxy? And so, you know, it's kind of like cleaning house, right. It's like, yeah. whereas um, apologetics is, you know, a, a defense or an attack to the outside uh, ideology. So, of yeah. Paganism, where like Tertullian was doing. Tertullian was a big, you know, apologist and just a martyr and apologist, you know, uh, defending yeah. Christianity to the Rome to to the Roman uh, state and the pagan religions, et cetera. And then you have polemicists which are again defending true orthodoxy from within the church. And Athanasius was a big part of that of defending true orthodoxy. And um, but he was also a big part of not just the Trinity and orthodoxy in the incarnation, which he wrote on but of the canon of scripture, which is interesting. Hmm. And actually, some of the earliest, uh, we have this early document uh, from him of what's called his Easter letter. Okay. So from letter 39. And so uh, this is, you know, from Athanasius. And so of the particular books and their number, which are accepted by the church. Uh, from the 39th year or 39th letter of Holy Athanasius, Bishop of Alexandria on the Paschal Festival, wherein he defines canonically what are the divine books which are accepted by the church. So this is after Nicaea, and this mm. is before some of the other church councils that will officially kind of say this is the canon of scripture. Okay. And so this is again. See, so it shows like
0: what we were saying, like uh, Council of Nicaea kinda just gets, you know, because of Da Vinci Code, a lot of people think that it was Council of Nicaea, but they didn't do everything. They kinda got the ball rolling, but they didn't totally set everything in motion. Yeah.
1: And you gotta think before even before Nicaea, pe- most people already accepted these books. I mean, even Marcion, a yeah. heretic, accepted the Gospel of Luke and some of the, you know, early writing and the epistles of Paul and all this as true. Scripture, and so people that for the there is not really any disagreement um, as far as you know the church goes that the gospels and acts and some of these books are really any contentious anyway they're they're really authentic right some of the debate really comes with some of the other apocryphal works these intertestamental works that we talked about the past three episodes and some of these other later um you know uh, these other New Testament works like. First, and second Peter, first and second, and third John. Those kind of late which I didn't realize.
0: A couple of those that we do have in our canon were a little bit debated, but um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I know they weren't. You know, obviously not terribly debated, but I know James was one of those ones where it was it almost didn't make it. Um, but June, I didn't. I didn't realize yeah. that. Uh, yeah, Jude with it being so small. Uh, I didn't realize Peter uh, was so close. Second Peter was kind of one of those ones. I'd never heard that, but. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah no, so I mean, you have that's some important you got to sift through.
1: Them. <laughs> yeah, so for the most part most of the New Testament canon is really intact and mm-hmm. or at least in agreement mm-hmm. with the in the early church as authentic. Um but the only ones that are debated are some of the ones later in the New Testament that are smaller books, you know, the those other apost- apostolic letters. Yeah. Um and uh but what's interesting is athanasius the defender of orthodoxy or the trinity the incarnation the council i see guy he he writes this letter and is like um uh, they have fabric you know calling the her- heretics they have fabricated books which uh they call books of tables in which they show stars to which they have names of saints and therein of the, of the truth they have inflicted on themselves a double reproach hmm Those who have written such books because they have perfected themselves in a lying and contemptible science, and as to the ignorant and simple, they have led them astray by evil thoughts concerning the right faith, established in all truth and upright in the presence of God. He's not holding back. (laughs) He's throwing it all out of there. But since we have made mention of heretics as dead, but of ourselves as possessing the divine scriptures for salvation... And lest I fear, lest as Paul wrote in the the Corinthians, Second Corinthians eleven three, some few of the simple should be uh, beguiled or bejeweled. Can't even say that word from their simplicity <laughs> and purity by the subtly subtly uh, man. This older this English the wording, yeah, the, uh, of certain men. It's like King James. Right. And should, the worst. And should, and get get all those, and should henceforth read other books, those <laughs> called apocryphal, uh, led astray by the similarity of their names with the true books. I beseech you to bear patiently, if I also write by way of remembrance of matters with which you are acquainted, influenced by the need and advantage of the church. So even he is, you know, like aware of these pseudepigraphal works, these apocryphal works that are kind of floating around, and even these other kind of canons or, or what people are considering to be true that aren't true like yeah. you know things like Martianism and arianism and, and and heretics and Gnostics who are you know they have their own Gospels and they have their own writings and and so that like hold up all these you know, stuff we need to go back to what's authentic to true yeah. scripture the true faith that was handed down from the Apostles and so in proceeding to and this is again in this letter in proceeding to make mention of these things I shall adopt to commend my undertaking the pattern of Luke the Evangelist, saying on my own accounts, for as much as some have taken in hand in Luke 1:1 to reduce into order for themselves the books uh, termed apocryphal, and to mix them up with the diverse divinely inspired Scripture, concerning which we have been fully persuaded, as they who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, delivered to the fathers it seemed good to me also having been urged thereto by true brethren and having learned from the beginning to set you set before you the books included in the canon
3: hmm. and,
1: and handed down and accredited as divine to the end that anyone who has fallen into error may condemn those who have led him astray and hmm. that he who has continued steadfast in purity may again rejoice having these things brought to his remembrance so Again, this goes back to the whole idea of the canon being the measuring rod to which all thing, all, all other things are to be measured against, as you know, this is the true um, faith, this is the true orthodoxy. Yeah. Right? And there are then, of the Old Testament, 22 books in number, for as I have heard, it is handed down that this is the number of the letters among the Hebrews, their respective order and names being as follows, the first Genesis and Exodus, next Leviticus, after the Numbers and Deuteronomy, Following these, there is Joshua, uh, the son of Nun, then Judges, then Ruth, and again, after these four books of kings, the first and second being reckoned as one book. So that's the confusion there. It's like, wait, there's four yeah. kings? <laughs> so, yeah, being reckoned as one book. I've heard that. And so, likewise, the third and fourth as one book, then again, and again, and again, The first and second of the Chronicles are reckoned as one book. Again, Ezra, the first and second are similarly one book. After these, there is the book of Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the Song of Songs. Job follows. Then the prophets, the twelve being reckoned as one book. Then Isaiah, one book. Then Jeremiah with Baruch, Lamentations and the Epistles, one book after their words. Ezekiel and Daniel each one book thus far constitutes the Old Testament. So, again, you have, uh, you know, Athanasius kind of laying the groundwork. And we've said before in our other episodes with the Pharisees the Council of Dernia that, you know, the whole settling of the Old Testament canon. So that's pretty much, you know, the Old Testament books are kind of set in its own sense. But some of the ones a part of the Apocrypha and the Catholic canon, that yeah. will, those will still be in some debate. But they're good books, like I said. Yeah. If, if they're not first tier, then they're second tier because these are good, good to read. They're good to read. That's different than these Nazi and the new, you know, pseudopigraphal works or apocryphal right. books, post uh, New Testament or post-Christianity. Those are another story. Those are just straight heresy, which we'll yeah. see. <laughs> uh, which is why Athanasius is writing this letter as well. Yeah, and it says again, it is not tedious to speak of the books of the New Testament. These are so even to say that you know the new, the New Testament. These are the four books according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So there you go. Afterwards, the Acts of the Apostles and Epistles, uh, seven of James, one of Peter, and two of John, three uh, of John, three. After these, one of Jude. In addition, there are fourteen epistles of Paul written in this order the first to the Romans, then two to the Corinthians, after these to the Galatians, next to the Ephesians, and to the Philippians, and to the Colossians, after these two to the Thessalonians, and that to the Hebrews, and again two to Timothy, one to Titus, and lastly that to Philemon. And besides the revelation of John, Hmm. these are, and so he went ahead and just named the 27 books of the new Testament. So you have this kind of the books that are in our, you know, in our new Testament canon, this is like, these are the sacred scriptures, And he says after this, these are the fountains of salvation that they who thirst may be satisfied with the living words they contain. And Hmm. these alone, Is proclaimed the doctrine of godliness. Let no man add to these, neither let him take aught from these, for concerning these the Lord put to shame the Sadducees and said, "You are not knowing the Scriptures, you who neither you know the Jesus uh, condemnation of Sadducees." Right. He reproved the Jews, saying, "Search the Scriptures, for these are they test that testify of me." And you know he gives the reference in Matthew and John. Yeah. But and this is the end. But for greater exactness, I add this also, writing of necessity, that there are other books besides these, not indeed included in the canon, but appointed Hmm. by the fathers to be read by those who newly join us, and who Hmm. wish for instruction in the word of godliness, the wisdom of Solomon, the wisdom of Sirach, both of these which we read on the podcast in this series, we did, and Esther and Judith and Tobit, and that which is called the teaching of the apostles, uh, or the didache. Uh, and the the Shepherd of Hermas, but the former, my brethren, are not included in the canon, the later being merely read, nor is there in any place of mention of apocryphal writings. But there are an invitation of heretics who write them when they choose, bestowing upon them their approbation and assigning to them a date, that so using them as ancient writings, they find they may find occasion to lead astray the simple. So think about the Gnostics, you know, the gospel of uh, Thomas and Judas and, and Mary. Yeah. It's like, okay, these were written way after they lived, but they're assigned this ancient date, you know? Right. And uh, we know that they're not ancient. Mm-hmm. So Ath- Athanasius is having to deal with this at this time. It's like getting wind of people that are being led astray, Right so it's it's yeah
0: it's yeah it definitely is a uh, kind of like I said before tumultuous time for sure but uh,
1: yeah
0: man (laughs) all these people going at it trying to figure out you know what's the right thing to do what's the right you know books to put together what's the right creeds you know all that but I mean Mm -hmm. thank God that the you know those guys came together and figured that out for us you know to get that straightened out yeah
1: and and notice that it's not a one person said it, there's that. Yeah. I mean, Athanasius, that's the thing, yeah, It's,
0: he, it's, it's there, there was that c- consensus, and there's the mm-hmm. you know community of people that agreed together. It wasn't yeah. he said just to one person,
1: I mean, just Athanasius, who's quite a guy in himself in his own right, right? But it's not just him, and so you'll notice that uh, uh some of these other councils, um, which you know, the Council of, of Rome and 382 this is just more of a local event it's not really a big big council mm-hmm. um, but this is going to kind of establish uh, again the canon of scripture more officially yeah. the council of Hippo in 393 council of Carthage and 397 and so I'll read from these as well and again all of these councils that will follow agree with yeah. the nations on these 27 books and so we have here from uh, the first uh, council you know the the one in uh, in Rome here mm-hmm. and so here begins the council of Rome under pump Damasus explaining on the faith and uh, he goes down yada 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 and then finally he says uh, now indeed the issue of divine scriptures must be discussed which the universal Catholic Church receives or which is it is required to avoid this is the order of the Old Testament and so then he goes, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Kings, uh, Chronicles, 150 Psalms. That
0: was one Psalms. thing that all of them kind of uh, agreed upon, though, was that the Old Testament was pretty much settled, right?
1: Yeah, except with the exception of some of these, like, like this canon and the official council, mm-hmm. they included uh, more than Athanasius did by saying, okay, the wisdom of Solomon and Sirach. Gotcha. And, so, but, and uh, Maccabees as well. And So, okay. like, likewise, the order of the histories Job with Esther, you know, Esther, Judith, and Maccabees, two books. And so, like, the, this is where the only disagreement really comes. And this is the disagreement uh, even today by, uh, between the Catholic and the Protestant uh, Bibles, where the New Testament is settled. It's kind yeah. of like a done deal, right? Um, and, you know, I'll even say with, with the New Testament, it says likewise, or hold home. Uh, The letters of the Apostle Paul, the number, or no, likewise, the order of the scriptures of the New Testament, according our gospel, according to Matthew, according to Mark, Luke, John, likewise, the Acts of the Apostles, to Romans, to the Corinthians, um, or the letters of Apostle Paul in number 14, Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians, Thessalonians, Galatians, Philippians, Colossians, Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, likewise, the Apocalypse of John, Gotcha. uh, which is Revelation, if you you Mm -hmm. didn't know, um, And then, of course, likewise, the canonical uh, letters in number seven uh, of the Apostle Peter, two letters, uh, James, John of the other, John the Elder, and, of course, uh, Judas the Zealot. Gotcha. So so the same 27 books. And uh, then you have, again, the Council of Carthage, which then says the same thing. It was also determined that besides the the canonical scriptures, nothing be read in the church under the title of divine scriptures. The canonical scriptures are these: Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. You know, I'm just, I'm not gonna go through <laughs> all these like a, a fourth time, but yeah. uh, you know, in Kings and, and of all all the other. But yeah, this we... this one does include Ezra's in the Book of Maccabees, and then on the New Testament, though again it's the same twenty-seven: the four books of the Gospels, one book of Acts of the yeah. Apostles, 13 epistles of the Apostle Paul, one epistle of the same author-writer to the Hebrews, two epistles of the Apostle Peter, three of John, one of James, one of Jude, one of the Apocalypse of John. So let the church over the sea be consulted to confirm this canon. Let it also be allowed that the passions of martyrs be read when their festivals are kept. So it's like, hey, when you have festivals too, go ahead and read the, the passions or the you know the deaths, the martyrs of those who, you know, the martyrs basically. Yeah, Yeah. You know, people like, uh, you know, uh, Perpetua, is it Perpetua and uh, no, uh, what's her name? Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't. Think I'm of drawing mean. a blank on some of these <laughs> early m- martyrs, Polycarp, and you know some of these okay. these uh, these people. Well,
0: it's good, like you said, that there was multiple people that had kind of like the same consensus, and it wasn't just one person kind of dictating. Yeah, you know what what direction to go.
1: Mm-hmm. And all of this is like, and let this be made known also to our brother and fellow priest Boniface. Or to other bishops of those parts for the purpose of confirming that canon, because we have perceived from our fathers that those books must be read in the church. So you see this deep tradition within yeah. the church of not just one church, but all over where Christianity has spread. And they're, yeah. they're they're not just saying, okay, we said it, but they're even writing to others to have this same consistency. Of like yeah. th- there's a, a part of humility here where they're like, hey, uh, go ahead and send this to uh, you know, the other churches and other bishops to confirm yeah. this canon, to make sure, hey, we got it right, you got it right. This is what has been handed down to us from the apostles, from the bishops, and this is the true 27 books of the Bible. Yeah. And so it's interesting that you see this progression, but it's at the same time, it's not actually or necessarily a progression because there's agreement throughout this this kind of line of history. Mm -hmm. where it wasn't just one council that said, this is the Bible book, But it's actually a collection of councils and a collection of letters and writings, um, including Athanasius. And even before Athanasius, you have people like Irenaeus and and all these other um, early church fathers and their own apologetics and Tertullian and everything, which are quoting from these books and calling them scriptures. Hmm. So, which is also a testament to the earliness of these documents because yes. if you have 2nd century and 3rd century and 4th century um, early church fathers writing, yeah. you know, quoting scripture, then, okay, the scriptures have to be written in the 1st century. Right, yeah. Um, naturally. Yeah. And even, the you know, the great, uh, you know... New Testament textual critic Bart Ehrman, the atheist, right? Yeah. He's one of the most famous. <laughs> he even agrees at this point. And I have actually right here his book. Uh, or okay. Not really a book, but uh, here it is. Course, the, the, yeah, the history of the Bible, the making of the New Testament canon, of okay, course, sure. guidebook, Professor Bart Ehrman of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And on page four here, he has... Uh, Okay, yeah, so it says the New Testament contains 27 separate books written by 14 or 15 early Christian authors for other Christian communities and individuals. The books are our earliest surviving Christian writings of any kind written in the first century A.D. Hmm. And so even skeptics yeah. like this who are real, you know, like an atheist New Testament textual critic scholar, right? Yeah, One yeah. of the best of the best. He even admits that the these 27 books which are mentioned in multiple uh writings and multiple letters called scripture amongst all the early church fathers and have been settled in part of these canons of after council after council after council yeah um these these are authentic first century documents um and so it's so interesting to me because you have this yeah, really the the only disagreement um the only disagreement by these church councils is, and these letters and the early church in general, is not really the twenty-seven books of the old, the New Testament. It's the the Old Testament. You know, should it include Maccabees or not? Should it include uh, Sirach or not? The Wisdom of Solomon or not? Um, but we've already said here that those books are good to read. Yeah. So whether they're included a part of the canon or not. Um, isn't as much of a big deal as the New Testament because yeah. those Old Testament books like Maccabees is mostly just history. It's mostly right. it's, it's a good thing. So you have it's
0: definitely a distinction there.
1: Yeah, and so it's good that we have universal consensus in the early church over the New Testament books because those are the most pressing because of all of the heresies of the Gnostics and Arianism right. and all that. And so you know, all of these councils. Are pretty much agreeing, saying, "Hey, these are the twenty-seven books of the New Testament." Yeah. Um, and so the only disagreement, even to today's canons, is you know the Protestant uh, Bible that we have is sixty-six books, right? Yeah. And like the Lutheran Bible, like they'll include even the fourteen additional books of the Apocrypha.
0: I know the Ethiopian Bible has uh, just the Book of Enoch extra, and that's about it,
2: right?
1: Yes, or maybe a few others of the Apocrypha um, here compared to the Protestant Bible, but not too yeah, much yeah. different than the Catholic. Yeah, And so the, the only disagreement among canons, so we're, when we're talking about the canon, the Bible formation yeah. canon, the r- really only disagreements throughout even church history and today has not been, oh, should the Gospel of Thomas be included or not? Or the <laughs> Gnostic? No, they're like, okay, that's clearly heresy. It's like there's just clear consensus to that yeah. th- throughout time and now that it shouldn't be included. The only disagreements among canons is whether the Apocrypha should be included or not. And we devoted three episodes to that, I mean, already up to this point, right. previous to this, covering those and why or not, um, you know, whether they're first tier or second tier. But, you know, you have the, the Protestant Bible, which is 66 books, and then including these 14 Apocrypha, that makes 80 books, of course, which is included in some. And then you have the Catholic Bible, which is actually half of those Apocrypha. So they include seven Apocrypha, Apocrypha books, but not the other seven, and so the catholic bible containing 73 books right gotcha. uh, and so which what's called the deuterocanonical books and then eastern orthodox has includes a little bit more and so the really the only difference between like say the catholic canon the eastern orthodox canon the protestant canon is these 14 books of the apocrypha and then if you put enoch in that category now with the ethiopian mm-hmm. church so really it's only 15 books yeah that are pre-christianity that has the only debate, but the debate is not whether they're good or not, because mm-hmm. they're all good books. Yeah, the debate is whether they're considered to be on par with, like, if, if they're first tier, if they're canon, right? If, yeah. if, if it's the measuring rod by which everything else is to be measured against, or is it good second tier that is commentary or like basically like uh, affirms or, or part of you know that that belief, but it's not part of the canon, right? Yeah. And so whether you include the Apocrypha or not in, in the canon is I'm not gonna say irrelevant, because they're still good books to read. But what is yeah. important is these twenty-seven books of the New Testament, did they get these right? Did they get yeah. these twenty seven books right? If, that seems
0: to be the big debate.
1: Yeah, and uh but what's funny is it's almost not it's barely debated because well, it's the big debate, and especially you know that time you have this kind of uh, you know yeah. tension with heresies. But they back then and now, there's a clear consensus that these Gnostic works are not to be included in the biblical canon. Um, and like Athanasius calls them out on it and says basically, hey, they ascribe to these ancient dates and say it's authentic. Uh, you know, even back then he just called called them on the you know the carpet, yeah. and it's like, but they're, they're lies and the simple are led astray by them. Yeah. And so,
0: yeah, it, uh, yeah, that's definitely a good thing that they had those, those groups for sure that could agree on all that and sort that out so that, you know, now you know, we have that, those, uh, accounts, like you were saying with Bart Ehrman, you know, even though he claims to be an atheist, you know, because of those uh, groups of people that really did the, did the work for us and laid that groundwork for us. You know, we really have that uh, history to fall back on, not just having to trust, you know, that's what's in our Bible that we buy. So that's just what we believe. But we have this history to look back on yeah. to really see why it is that we have, you know, certain books over others.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is actually a good way to put it, too. The, uh, the Apocrypha is not important to Christian teaching and beliefs. Yeah. Uh, and they're mostly historical. And so mm-hmm. and maybe good advice and things like that and wisdom. You know, so like then, uh,
0: Ecclesiasticus or Sirach, you know, yeah. had some some of it was good, some of it was weird, but most of it was good. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, it's you good don't, advice. You
0: don't, you, don't, you don't go there for advice on your in-laws, but you can go if you're thinking about <laughs> taking medicine, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, so when you're talking about Christian orthodoxy, the yeah. inclusion of the apocrypha or non-inclusion of the apocrypha doesn't actually really change anything mm. theologically about uh, Christian yeah. orthodoxy uh not it doesn't change anything in the nicene creed doesn't change anything in some of the other creedal statements that will come out in future councils yeah um uh, and so it's really uh you know when pe- people try to cast doubt on the canon like skeptics will say oh well you know the canon the books of the bible and, and all that stuff are the differences and it's like what about the books not included in the bible it's like yeah well between these four episodes hopefully we've yeah, <laughs> and prove some confidence in why we have the Bible, the books in the Bible that there are. Yeah. Um, and the differences among current canons are the same differences that were included in early church councils mm. on whether or not the histories, like Maccabees and some of these, yeah, wars, these intertestamental books should be included or not. Mm-hmm. But they're still good to read. Yeah, and I yeah, actually those, have my those first through four Maccabees as well, thanks to my grandpa. Yeah. Um, that's pretty cool. You know, so it's like.
0: And kind of like, like your Bible, I'm looking at getting um, an NRS NRSV Bible with the Apocrypha included, you know, just to add to my collection, so I can you know, have that. I and mean, the Lutheran like said, Bible
1: it includes the 14. I mean, he, he yeah. didn't consider them canon, but it's like here's the other yeah. the 14 books apart.
0: But, and yeah. that's the thing; like, they don't print it as canon. They're like, you got your Old Testament, you got your New Testament, and then you have your Apocrypha to kind of you know help you out with the rest and you know it's definitely nothing to be afraid of you know Mm -hmm. it's not a forbidden book of the bible like uh some people portray the book of enoch or other things like that Mm -hmm. because that's still the funniest thing that uh when i was at barnes and noble that one time i was looking over just kind of browsing around and and like the astrology and witchcraft section and stuff there's some book about the book of enoch as if it's like you're not supposed to know this kind of thing but um Yeah, it's like, as as we tried to, you know, explain to everybody, you know, the Apocrypha, you don't have to... uh, It's a good read, you know, gives context. Mm -hmm. The New Testament is where it gets dicey. Uh, That's where it's, you know, you don't want to, you know, for research purposes, you can read them. But yeah, so the New Testament definitely required a lot more uh, um, sorting out, for sure.
1: Making sure you have it right, because if you have something like the Gospel of Thomas, where it says that, uh, you know, basically... (laughs) <laughs>
0: Should we ask the women to leave because they are not worthy of knowing this knowledge? <laughs> yeah, no, it's like it, the,
1: the Gospel of Thomas, man. I mean, we read that last week It's just crazy. Yeah, um, but that's the that's the big point too. And Athanasius and some of these early church fathers, they were like, hey, these other books that are passing as books that are really just full of heresy and lies. Right. Um, you can tell not only just from it not being passed down as you know through the true faith, but because of the content. Yeah, The content is actually different. And so if you included some of these Gnostic Gospels within the New Testament canon, it completely contradicts the it's just canon.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, like by a big, you know, a large degree. And yeah. so it does affect Christian doctrine. And so it's not that it, they were being suppressed, per se, like the true right. doc- But it's from the very beginning, it was like conspiracy theory. I mean, you read right, some yeah. of these books that we read last week. And it's like the secret sayings of Jesus. Yeah. It's like
0: the secret book of John. You yeah.
1: Know? <laughs> it's like it tells you on the onset that this is not something that is, you know, to yeah. be considered. But you also might think okay, so the canon of scripture, right? Is this something that I'm just going to take a bunch of dudes' word for it that were in the early church? And so what if it's a majority consensus and consistent mm-hmm. consensus even to today? But you know, I need something a little more. Like, what's the criteria here that that separates heresy from orthodoxy? Uh, glad you asked, uh, <laughs> because they themselves had criteria, and it was mainly these arguments yeah. of what should be part of the canon. Not came down to three main um, mm-hmm. critiques, and that was the: uh, does it have apostolic authorship,
2: mm-hmm.
1: or is it a part of the apostolic yeah. um, age? Right. Uh, Does it have doctrinal orthodoxy? So is it consistent, right? Is the message consistent? Is it orthodox? Uh, And does it have universal acceptance? So even with some of these other councils that I read, they said, hey, here's our canon that's been passed down by the apostles. Check, like, cross-reference, cross-examine. Is is this your canon? Is this our? Like, we want to make sure we have it right. This is the kind of humility there. And so it begs the question, like, what happens if we found one of the lost letters of Paul today? Yeah, yeah um, I
0: think I brought that up before, even before we did uh, our series on the apocrypha. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like uh, you know, there, there's certain guidelines that were put in place, you know, by those those guys, and mm-hmm. um, they've you know protected us from a lot of heresy yeah. and a lot of nonsense, and they've really you know, it's done a good job, you know, even mm-hmm. to today of keeping yeah. things protected.
1: And even if we found a Gospel of Paul. It wouldn't be included be cool. in the canon. It would be cool, but <laughs> there's a reason why it wouldn't even like something as authentic as that. You would think would be in the canon of the scripture, but it would meet two out of the three categories and not all three. And you know, yeah. not why? Because it has the pa- apostolic authorship. Let's just say we can date it to the first century. It's authentic Paul letter,
2: yeah.
1: part of that apostolic age pre 100 AD. And even Bart Ehrman said all the books of the 27 books of the New Testament pre 100 AD. It's in the first century, right? Right. Uh, so let's just say it hits that criteria. Secondly, what if it's consistent with his other letters? It's doctrinally, uh, you know, orthodox. It's from Paul, right? So you're gonna say, okay, yeah, it's 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 Paul was an
0: educated man.
1: Yeah, it's orthodox, but it the thing is, it wouldn't necessarily have universal acceptance because it hasn't been a part of church history. Yeah. It wasn't a part of the totality of churches, mm-hmm. um, and now that we're so far removed, it hasn't been a part of. The church for two thousand years. Yeah, and so there were even kind of s- like the
0: one comment. There is it authoritative or just uh, secondhand fan fiction? Second
1: temple, <laughs> yeah, for the apocrypha, yeah, it's yeah. like uh, you know, it was it authoritative scripture or second temple fan fiction? Um, but then when you have some of the New Testament post this, yeah, um, is it yeah, is it really? Yeah, the some Gnostics these-
0: was fan fiction for sure. <laughs>
1: yeah, the Gnostics, man, shoo, uh, well, yeah. And it's not something that we're just, oh, we're suppressing. It's like, read it yourself, and yeah. you just kind of see it's, it's pretty whack. I'll show you um, the book
0: I have that has the writings. <laughs> yeah. And I so, own some of them.
1: And so these three criteria, and even at the time when they were trying to settle the canon of Scripture, there might have been one church that had a book of the Bible that they deemed authentic, but because the other churches didn't consider them as authentic, it yeah. wouldn't be included in the official canon. So yeah. even if they said, hey, I had a letter from Paul, and the couple churches said, yeah, this is, we followed this letter from Paul, but all the other churches say it's bogus. It doesn't then have universal acceptance and therefore couldn't be included in the Canon of scripture. Yeah. So it has to hit all three criteria. And some of these were like, well, what about the Didache or the teaching of the, the apostles and the, you know, the, the shepherd of Hermas, right. Or the clements writings to the, you know, to, to his church. Yeah. And so can those be included? And it's like, well, it, doesn't have apostolic authorship it's not in the apostolic age you know it's written post 100 a.d it may it may contain universal acceptance and doctoral authority in a uh, you know orthodoxy but again it's not it doesn't it meets two out of the three but not all three criteria yeah so these are tough criteria to meet so the 27 the 27 books of our new testament meet all three of these criteria of apostolic authorship uh books within that 308 you know a.d they have doctrinal mm. orthodoxy. I mean, they don't contradict, you know, uh, doctrinally with one another. And they're part of the true teachings of the apostles and what Jesus, you know, and, and God has revealed through yeah. the, the scriptures. And they have universal uh, acceptance as well. And yeah. so that's, the, you know, they to- totally agree as well. Um, and this is a big argument as well. I'm glad uh, we have a comment like this as well. Yes. Also, the Holy Spirit guided the process so we can be sure we have the true books fit for Christians. And the councils codified the true doctrines by the Spirit as well for our faith, really. So even the, even the it's not just men and women, who, you know, they, yeah. they just said, oh, this yeah, is... Yeah, that's
0: him. very important to note the Holy Spirit's Yeah, God's. they
1: themselves believe that they were being influenced by the Spirit. And they mm-hmm. wrote in such ways um like uh you know some of the even clement and and some of these other right you know writers when they were writing their own scriptures they they thought they were being guided by the holy spirit through some of these writings there was kind of a totality there was this universal consensus and this kind of providence that god was bringing the the true scriptures uh you know together to be codified and so and then obviously if you believe in god uh you know in the holy spirit and it's providence over us mm-hmm. and over church history, then automatically you're going to have even less problem with the formation of the canon because obviously God is Lord over history as well. Yeah, And if God can intervene in history as any theist would, would agree, but right. uh, you know, there's a difference between deism and theism. Deism is God created the world and he didn't have anything to do with it. But if you're a theist where God uh, is in- involved in his creation, yeah. Then of course the formation of scripture itself, um, he would be involved in, and therefore you can trust it. If, yeah. if if the canon was formed by, you know the the Holy Spirit and influenced by the Holy Spirit, then it is obviously authoritative and uh, you know considered to be tr- the true canon of scripture. Right. Um, but it helps also for skeptics to know that. Or let's just say non-theist, right? That um, the process of the canonization of scripture is mu- there's much consensus. You yeah, know, it's it's council after council, letter after letter, quote after quote, calling a scripture from early church father. All the twenty-seven books of the New Testament were considered authentic. It meets the three criteria of apostolic authorship, doctrinal orthodoxy, universal acceptance, and no other books that they had found or argued with met all three criteria. Maybe it met one out of the three, maybe it met two out of the three, but it couldn't be included in the Canada scripture unless it met all three of three. And yeah. so it's tough criteria. And that's why we have the 27 books that we have. And so the ter- early church fathers believed that again, they believe they're being guided by the Holy spirit to form yeah. the canon as well. And the only disagreement is these 14 or 15 books of the Apocrypha, which are, in the middle between the old and new testament and have great benefit. They mm. they are really good books, but are they first tier or second year? That's the only question. Yeah. But they they don't affect Christian Orthodoxy at all. They don't even really affect Jewish Orthodoxy either. Yeah. They, even if you're taking just you know pre-New Testament, these apocryphal books are not. It, it just gives you context and it helps with understanding some of the old and New Testament as well. Yeah. But it doesn't change Uh, the old and new testament so that's uh whether you take the eastern orthodox bible the catholic bible the ethiopian bible or the you know protestant bible all of these the all the same new testament wise and the only difference between them is do they include all 14 or seven of the 14 or none of the 14 apocryphal works or you know you know cannot. um but the they are good to read and so hopefully we've established through all of this your confidence in the bible and the scripture and yeah uh, the you know putting the biblical and biblical brainstorm, uh, <laughs> yeah, why we have the Bible the way we have it and that you can trust it.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, like I said at the beginning, it's it worked out being really well or going really well that we ended up uh, doing this series somewhat unintentionally mm-hmm. to kind of break down at the very core what the Bible is, how we got it together before we you know dig into you know, more exegetical stuff in books of the Bible, but um, it's very interesting study. I think it's, you know, some people may be afraid to study it, but it's definitely helpful to learn about some of these things because it's, um, you know, with things like the Da Vinci Code out there it can really throw people off. And with some of the stigma around uh, the Apocrypha, and then mm-hmm. finding out stuff about the Gnostic Gospels, and like there's when they bring out the whole, oh, there's a hidden book of the Bible that you're not supposed to know, and yeah, all this kind of stuff. It just, it really, um, yeah, it really can, it, it can seem intimidating if you, if it's not something you've ever done before, or if it's all new. So it's, um, you know, one of the things like we said with our podcast is we're not we're not experts, but we want to do the best we can to help other people because it's something that we enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, you know, you don't got to be afraid to study it or ask questions, you know, just dig in, dig into it. Yeah. And uh, have help. But I mean, you can trust the Bible. You can trust the books that are in there. Um, it's not a you know, it's it's been it's been vetted very deep. <laughs> so, I mean, you can you can trust the vetting process for sure.
1: Yeah. I love this. Good history. Everyone should learn more about early church history. It's really fun. Yes, we don't learn enough of it. Um, unfortunately, yeah. and especially even in the Protestant evangelical world, there's kind of a rejection of anything, uh, or not a rejection, but just a, a disinterest with anything pre uh, Luther and Calvin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's unfortunate because church it's all, it's is really all important. a very.
0: Yeah, it's a very, you know, like you said, not very much pre-Luther, Calvin. It's very Greek. Um, mm-hmm. They don't really go much past into the Hebrew roots, the Near Eastern roots of a lot of things, and yeah. you know, I think that's caused a lot of issues, but um, you know, not irreversible issues, but caused a lot of issues with some people. And uh, yeah, you know, it's important to you know study every aspect of the Bible and every aspect of church history, not just a part of it. I've yeah. got to really get it's, in there.
1: It's like some people think it's like, okay, the Bible happened and all of a sudden God stopped intervening and, and helping <laughs> Christians out all the way until Luther happened. It's like, Oh, now all yeah. the best stuff church really. And it's like, uh, you know, oh, exactly. you shouldn't be scared of this stuff. Um, you know, yeah. God was still working in history, even between the Bible the yeah. fossils, and Luther. And so you, you know, you can yeah. you can see some of that, especially with these defenders of orthodoxy, like Athanasius and Tertullian, you know, some of these guys, yeah. and, you know, not all of their beliefs are perfect. You know, not all of their writings are perfect. Uh, some of them had some beliefs that are like, eh. but for the most part, uh, especially these defenders of orthodoxy, they're good. They're great to read and they're really helpful and they make you understand scripture as well, uh, like good commentary. At least they have their own commentaries yeah. literally of the writings of scripture. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if it's it's a great resource, you know, it's not above the canon because they themselves didn't consider their own writings above the canon like they, yeah. they themselves are putting together the canon and saying, hey, this is the canon. This is essential. like this is for salvation. Like Athanasius says, like our writings are good, but this is the canon. Yeah. This, this goes first. We are. Yeah. Our own writings are second tier. And so there's an important humility in that, which I think is great. Mm. But it's that it doesn't mean that we should ignore their writings either. And yeah. I think it's actually a good segue into the last thing I have, which I was actually going to read Athanasius Creed um, right. because he had his own, um, like, defense, you know, of of uh, or encapsulation of orthodoxy and defense of the Trinity. And so he himself was kind of, like, battling this, you know, exile five times as well, <laughs> you know. Damn. He's just trying to, like, defend the faith. And so his encapsulation says, whoever will be saved, before all things it is necessary that he hold the Catholic or the universal at this time, the, the true faith, right? Uh, not meaning modern Catholic, but right, it's, yeah. it's, you know, the universal <laughs> faith. Uh, so this would include everybody, which faith, unless everyone do keep uh, whole and undefiled without doubt, he shall perish ever- everlastingly. And the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity neither confounding the persons nor dividing the essence, for there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Ghost. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost is all one. The glory equal, the majesty co-eternal, such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Ghost. The Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, the Holy Ghost uncreated. The Father, unlimited. The Son, unlimited. The Holy Ghost, unlimited. The Father, eternal. The Son, eternal. And the Holy Ghost, eternal. And yet, they are not three Eternals, but one eternal. As also there are not three uncreated, nor three infinites, but one uncreated, and one infinite. So likewise, the Father is Almighty. The Son, Almighty. And the Holy Ghost, Almighty. And hmm. yet, they are not three Almighties, but one Almighty. So hmm. the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Ghost is God. And yet there are not three gods, but one God. So likewise, the Father is Lord, the Son, Lord, the Holy Ghost, Lord. And yet there are not three lords, but one Lord. For like as we are compelled by the Christian verity to acknowledge every person by himself to be God and Lord, so are we forbidden by the Catholic religion to say there are three gods or three lords. The Father is made of none, neither created nor begotten. The Son is of of the Father alone, not made nor created, but begotten. The Holy Ghost is of the Father and of the Son, neither made nor created nor begotten, but proceeding. So there is one Father, not three Fathers; one Son, not three Sons; one Holy Ghost, not three Holy Ghosts. And in this Trinity, none is before or after another; none is greater or none le- or less than another. But the whole three persons are co-eternal and co-equal, so that in all things as aforesaid, the unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity is to be worshipped. He therefore that will be saved. Let him thus think of the Trinity. And it's like I, it's not done yet, but I'm just like, this yeah. is so... It's like, deep. I'm like, any explanation I've heard of the Trinity, this just blows it out of the water. Yeah. <laughs> it's like That's good. I mean, it's deep. You got into it. It's like you say somebody to explain the Trinity and it's like well, oh, you know, like an egg and three. And it's like, no, 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 Yeah, and It's like some some explanations of the Trinity is really just modalism, uh-huh. um, which is interesting. But it's like, I'm just, yeah. You know, hey, just read the Athanasian Greek. And it's yeah. like, furthermore, it, this is the last part. Furthermore, it is necessary to everlasting salvation that he also believe faithfully the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the right faith is that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God and man. God of the substance essence of the father begotten before the worlds and man of the substance essence of his mother born Hmm. in this world, perfect God and perfect man of a reasonable soul and human flesh subsisting equal to the father as touching his, his Godhead and inferior to the father as touching his manhood who, although he is God and man, yet he is not two, but one Christ one, not by conversion of the Godhead into flesh, but by assumption of manhood of the manhood into God, one altogether not by confusion of substance, but by unity of person. For as the reasonable soul and flesh is one man, so God and man is one Christ, who suffered for our salvation, descended into hell, rose again the third day from the dead, he ascended into heaven, he sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he will come to judge the living and the dead. at at whose coming all men will rise again with their bodies and shall give account for their own works and they that have done good shall go into everlasting life everlasting and they that have done evil into everlasting fire this is the holy the catholic faith which except a man which except a man believe truly and firmly he cannot be saved I was mm-hmm. like, no, that's a
0: lot longer than Nicene Creed, but it's uh that's a good one.
1: Yeah, um, I just it was good to read there because yeah. Athanasius was no joke. Very, and he took the essence of the scriptures and he kind of encapsulated it into this orthodoxy into this creed for people to read. Yeah, and it's like this is the guy again, you know this this guy from from Egypt, this uh, the short dude. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this uh, <the laughs> I guy. I still don't
0: believe that nickname.
1: Yeah, like. People that made fun of him and exiled him and resisted him, but he just kept true to the incarnation, yeah, and and the the Trinity, and so he just he you can see there he was fighting against both Gnosticism and Arianism, yeah. Um,
0: well, you can say he contended for the faith—that's for sure.
1: He did. He did what Jude said. Yeah, I love us memorize that, folks. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> man, I know you memorized uh, the Book of Jude, but man, that's pushing it's it. The memorized. only one I've. To yeah. be able
1: to memorize I know
0: someone that memorized the book of uh Philippians, I think, like the whole book.
1: There's a guy who memorized know. the whole Bible and I just am amazed by that.
0: That's impressive. That's very impressive. I would
1: love to do I mean early Jews, like, you know, they had to memorize uh, the Torah, yeah. which the first five books, man, that's a that's a thick yeah. load right there. Yeah.
0: Well, someone who brought up a good point. They didn't have all the stuff necessarily to remember, like we have now, as far as entertainment and all that. Like how we quote movie lines, TV. Yeah, that's and true. We quote a lot of songs and movies. We yeah, we quote we quote a lot of movies, a lot of music, and all that. And they only had one thing to quote from. So instead of us having a wide, vast library of different things, they only had mm. one thing. They weren't so. as
1: distracted. As yeah. You <laughs> They had a little more slowed down lifestyles. They yeah. uh, they work and oh, well, what do you do? You listen to to Torah. And you, yeah. And if you could, Which maybe you read. But if not, then you. It's a normal culture right, again. Yeah. So you go to synagogue and you listen to it over and over. It's
0: yeah. Cool. It might be might be good to get back to those kinds of basics. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> we might we might we might be able to
1: memorize is fine. It's better to actually understand it. That yeah, is that's true. That is, yep.
0: That's one of those things where you might want to find it and print it out on a poster or something and just kind of, you know, frame it nice and have it on your wall and just, you know, the longer you have it, you just read more and more at a time and you might memorize it, you might not, but it's just always there as a reminder.
1: Apparently, like he says here, like uh, some Catholics recite the Athanasian Creed as well, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's, it's, uh, like this uh, church history is essential to defending the Trinity from... Careerless attacks yeah because if you you have things like uh you know the da vinci code for example like those, yeah and it's like <laughs> well why can't the gospel of thomas be included why, why can't these gnostic works be included but then you know true orthodoxy and you know church history and you know the scriptures and then you read something like a, that work where it's like uh yeah it doesn't really con- like it yeah they don't drive not, they don't die together. That's a good way to put it. They they, they can't be reconciled.
0: Or is to use a uh, a biblical phrase that doesn't bear witness?
1: Yep. <laughs> it does not bear witness. Not at all. Uh Yeah, the Bible has uh, the Bible has better quotes than any movie or TV show. So they win in that respect. True. Yep, I love my favorite quote. Uh one of them is uh here, let me let me pull it up here. Um I can I can,
0: uh, And I know I mentioned it in the last Q&A, even though I'm a Christian and I fancy myself an aspiring Bible scholar, uh, grown up in a pastor's home and all that. Never really been one to have a favorite verse or anything, so to speak. Like, I really had to think about that. Like, what's my favorite book of the Bible, favorite verse, you know, that kind of thing. I just, I don't know. I've never had one. I don't know why. But um, nothing has ever really stuck out, so to speak. All right, but you know, not that any of them are bad.
1: But. Here, here's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's All like, right, so gr- easily quotable. Joshua 13, 1. Now, Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, "You are old and advanced in years."
0: <laughs> Man, the Bible had memes before memes were a meme. <laughs>
1: I love that. It's just so good. It's just so Joshua good.
0: being old and advanced in years. God, you were old and advanced in years.
1: <laughs> People say that you know. It's like, see, the Bible is great. It's, it's yeah. So it's so good. Um, <laughs> I just, I mean, the honesty of this of this verse yeah. is great.
0: Is he wrong? No.
1: <laughs> just. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, "You're old and advanced in years." And it continues though it says, "And there remains yet very much land to possess." And obviously there was a point to this. But Um. I I I just love that. So 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 many good. That might be my favorite now.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Getting to some like uh, whether it be Q and A or some deep biblical discussion is like, what's a good Bible? What's a favorite Bible Bible verse you have to you know for life? You know, well. Jacob was old and advanced in years, and God told him, "You're old. Oh, this and is advanced Joshua. Oh yeah, Joshua.
1: Joshua 13. I mean, <laughs> like you said, you go to a small group setting; it's a very deep moment, and everybody's yeah. like, you know, oh, what's, what's a really encouraging verse that get you through, and and all that, and just, like, just come up with Joshua 13:1. Like <laughs> Joshua 13:1 is that like the you know like uh, stand firm and or the big strong encouragement? I'm like, nope. It's uh, you know. No, Joshua was old and advancing years, and the always said to oh, him, "You're old and advancing years." So.
0: <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one.
1: Yeah. Uh, so uh, there's some, yeah, there's some good quotes. Spare the rod and spoil the child. So, yeah, um, there's, there's nothing one. new under the sun. That's true. Um, like when the angel comes and frees Peter in jail. Gird your loins and tie your sandals. <laughs> <laughs> Paints the image of an undressed prisoner Still sleeping uh, when it's time to escape yeah. okay. <laughs>
0: Put on your pants Get gird, your shoes and let's go <laughs> Gird
1: your loins That's a good encouraging word
2: Yeah, that's true um, anyways, your sandals.
1: Yeah, we're going a little off topic We're reaching the two hour mark here <laughs> but, um, but next week we're going to have a lot more fun Like this, it'll be more spontaneous We're going to yeah. have a Q&A episode next week
0: Q&As right. are fun Q&As right. are always good
1: our second, our second Q and A live stream. So come ready with your questions, hard questions, easy questions, funny questions. Whether it had to do with the series questions. or not,
0: you know, go ahead and fire away.
1: Yeah, uh, or if it has something to do with the past four episodes we talked about. I know that we uh, we went through a lot of episodes before we had a Q and A. We went through uh, the, the Book of Jude. Um, yeah. We had our four part episode going through the the Apocrypha and the formation of the canon and why we have the Bible and. Which kind of laid the groundwork of where we're at now. We, yeah, you know, now that we have the, I've established the Bible and biblical brainstorm. Now we can, I guess, go from there.
0: So. Yeah, yeah, it turned out really well, and you know, we started out at a good time when Easter. So it's, uh, uh we always, you know, we had some pretty, you know, easy content to start with because it's, you know, Easter time. What else? What better thing to talk, start a podcast with, than talking about that? And then yeah. right after that, we come into all right. Let's define the Bible, and we've got that down. So now it's like all right, let's get into it. <laughs> yeah. So it turned out good. But yeah, yeah. You know, if you guys got questions, you know, about any of that kind of stuff, I know we had that Q and A after you know the first few weeks, so we kind of covered that. But since then, you know, we we have covered a lot of material, a lot of heavy stuff. So if you guys got questions, feel free.
1: Yeah, I did enjoy our last Q and A. So hopefully, we yeah. you know, you guys come ready again and and uh, and bring it. So that'll be cool. Um. And yeah, after that, we're gonna we have some exciting series, new series of things to kick off, which yeah. which we're excited about. Um, but yeah,
0: we got so many things, so little time, you know.
1: <laughs> well, I love how we're just uh we're set for your, for months, though. It's, yeah, it's great.
0: Yeah, we got. I mean, there's just it's one of those things where the Bible can just go on about it, but. I mean, I lost you for a second. He said, but. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was saying it's one of those things where uh, the Bible can go on forever. You can talk about it forever. But, um, yeah, you know, we just, it's, it's just turned out in such a way that, you know, we have all these topics we want to talk about and they all kind of yeah. have just a good flow to them. And uh, as far as like how we can start them, end them, and that kind of thing. So we're looking forward to, you know, actually getting to it. That's for sure. Yeah.
1: Well, eventually when we get to Genesis, whatever that. It happens. that's
0: gonna be fun. <laughs> yeah. well, thanks,
1: guys, for always an informative history discussion. I love history, I mean, thank a you, history man. Major, but and then, uh, such a blessing, guys, I appreciate it. Um, yes, sir. This, I mean, we love doing this. Yeah. I mean, if, if anything, we get to have a two hour discussion with uh, you know, yeah, among friends, and then you know, if anybody else benefits, then uh, we're able to uh, you know, include more people into that, which is yeah. Great so
0: yes it's not just something that uh, not only is it something for us to enjoy but we love to have you guys enjoy it with us
1: all right that's why we do it live and we can have yeah. comments like this thanks for the fellowship wish a good last forever too yep. yeah <laughs> well, well we'll see you guys next tuesday though next tuesday. all right love you
0: guys don't forget to follow us on uh instagram and facebook check us out on spotify subscribe on youtube uh we're definitely wanting to do some more you know up close and personal stuff on instagram so keep an eye out for that and um yeah, thank you guys for supporting us. We love you guys.
1: Yeah, and we we might ask you guys questions on our QA next week too. So uh maybe some <laughs> <polling tables>. questions. <laughs> How, How the, tables. Well, the tables have turned. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, you know, just to see what, what you guys would want for us to do in future episodes yeah. or looking forward to us talking mm-hmm. about or questions and
0: the um, tables have turned, we're asking you guys questions in this QA. <laughs> um, but yeah, all right.
1: See you yeah. guys, have a good night.
0: See you guys.